Good morning. It's all about allowing. Thank you, Chris and Fran and Brett and Nick for that beautiful music this morning. <sighs> and thank you all for being here. I suspect some of you who are coming westbound on Highway 12 had a much more interesting time getting here today. So thank you for making the effort. We really appreciate that. <sighs> Discomfort is my sacred friend. That phrase, sacred friend, was coined by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And it describes the people in our lives that tend to be the hardest to love and sometimes the hardest to forgive. And so discomfort is my sacred friend. And perhaps this is the point in the talk where you might be thinking, Russ, have you had your coffee yet this morning? I have. <laughs> and I'm serious. I believe that discomfort is one of the most powerful tools for growth that we have as human beings. You see, for me, discomfort is a trailhead that I can follow down to all of my juicy hidden beliefs that are holding me back from truly living a meaningful and rich life. And it leads me to the beliefs that hold me back from helping others to have the same. Discomfort tells me where my life is out of alignment. And discomfort tells me where maybe the world is out of alignment. Discomfort tells me when it's time to make a change. And my favorite, discomfort teaches me compassion. And I'm reminded of the Islamic month of sacred fasting called Ramadan, which happens to begin this March with the first sighting of the new crescent moon. And it's a time when Muslims all over the world fast from dawn until dusk. And Western Sufi sheikh and psychologist Robert Frager calls this fasting during Ramadan. He talks about this fasting and he says this, all the world's religions include some form of fasting. It seems that all the prophets God sent to this world taught their followers to fast. Why is it important to fast? Well, for one thing, it teaches compassion for those who are poor and are forced to fast. For one thing, it calls out those who are in an area that suffers drought or famine or the devastation of war. And these conditions can be found all over the world. We should be grateful that we have food. Famine occurs all over the world. It's not limited to Africa or Asia. We have had terrible droughts in America in the past and many Americans went hungry and today, many homeless Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from. We think it cannot happen here, but the homeless and hungry are right next door to us. We don't see them because we do not look. They are invisible to us because 
we do not want to see their suffering. There are thousands living close to us without a home or a steady income. They often fast, but not out of choice. Now, I am not suggesting that you all go out and stop eating from dawn until dusk for a whole month, unless that's something that really calls to you. But I use fasting as an example of chosen discomfort to illustrate the power of discomfort as a means to bring us into a state of compassion and curiosity and courage and to bring those things into our daily lives so that we might better understand those who have no choice. I've done fasts before, and while they were not as long as Ramadan, I can tell you I became intimately aware of my discomfort. In fact, I recently restarted a practice of fasting for 16 hours a day and then only having a window of eight hours where I eat because I noticed that my eating habits, well, they were becoming a little bit too comfortable. And my health was suffering. And I noticed that I was eating not because I was hungry, but because I was bored. Or worse, I was eating because I was avoiding feeling unpleasant feelings. Feelings that were just trying to get my attention. Sometimes I was eating because I was stressed. Now, I've done this sort of a fast before, and I can tell you it was pretty challenging. Because there's this time right around 8 o'clock in the evening when I would start to hear this little nagging voice in my mind that says, Hey, Russ, why don't you walk over to that 7-Eleven by that bag of Doritos? Then we can eat the whole thing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I can tell you that voice is very convincing. It's very clever. In fact, sometimes we'd even say, hey, you know what? You're even going to get some exercise because you're going to walk over to that (laughs) 7-Eleven. And so I'd have to summon so much willpower just to kind of suppress that voice and say, no, we're not going to do that. And it was hard. In fact, I'm pretty sure I was burning calories just keeping that voice at bay. And so it was a struggle. And I failed a lot. And I'm not sure. Well, actually, no, I'm saying that wrong. I'm, I'm actually quite sure, judging from the laughter that I'm hearing here, that many of you have probably encountered that voice and knows what that struggle feels like. Yes? Well, recently, I noticed a greater discomfort that was taking place in my body that was coming from my poor eating habits. And I became very well acquainted with that feeling of being sick because I ate something unhealthy or because I ate too much. Started to hear some warnings from a doctor. And so I decided that this time, I'm going to follow that discomfort, that discomfort that was causing me to eat in these unhealthy ways, 
and see if maybe I can understand it. See if I could understand that part of me that wanted to eat when I was bored or stressed or feeling emotional. And it turns out that part of my mind, that part that liked to eat, well, it turns out that it was only looking out for my good. It was trying to keep me safe. And the only way that I knew how to do that was to eat. You see, what it was doing is it was protecting another part of me, a part of me that was feeling isolated and feeling alone, a part that was carrying the burden of these feelings and that did not know how to let them go. This eating part of me believed that by eating all the time, it could help keep that struggling, burden part of my mind safe and keep it from acting out and flooding me with all of those feelings and all of those emotions. That part of me that liked to eat, it was just taking care of me. The only way that it knew how to do. And if it was not for the greater discomfort that was taking place in my body, I don't know if I ever would have known. And I never would have had the opportunity to build a deeper relationship with those parts of me that were in pain, that were hurting. And you know what? Just that simple act of acknowledging that part of me that wanted to eat, that part of me that was feeling isolated and alone, well, something remarkable happened. Those parts of me relaxed. They were able to let go. In fact, that eating part of me, it does not stand in the way of my diet now. In fact, it helps me to stay true to my commitment to eat more healthily, to not be grazing all the way up until the time I go to bed. <laughs> you know, I look at the news of our country and our world today, the news of seemingly increasing income inequality, homelessness, poverty, war, racism, drought, climate change. And I see the outpicturing of so much unhealed inner hurt within all of us. This is uncomfortable to witness. But I'm so grateful for my discomfort because that discomfort tells me the danger in me becoming complacent. It reminds me that there are those who are living a far greater discomfort than I am. And it reminds me that I have an opportunity to do what I can, even if sometimes it feels minuscule, to ease the pain that I see in the world. Poet Maya Angelou illustrated this concept so beautifully in her poem, caged bird, and I'd like to read that for you now. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. 
But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn and he names the sky his own. But the cage bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. I truly believe that we would end income inequality, homelessness, racism, and injustice if we really wanted to. But I, the free bird in Maya Angelou's poem, find that I have a responsibility not just to enjoy my freedom and comfort, but to also do all that I can to ensure that the caged birds of the world are able to be free. Ernest Holmes says this in the Science of Mind textbook, the criterion for any person as to what is right or wrong for them is not to be found in some other person's judgment. The criterion is, does the thing I wish to do express more life, more happiness, more peace to myself, and at the same time harm no one? If it does, it is right. It is not selfish. But if it is done at the expense of anyone, then in such degree, we are making wrong use of the law. And that law that he's talking about is the law of mind, of us aligning our thoughts to that which it is that we desire and having the universe reflect that back to us. And I have to say, I'm really not perfect at this. Sometimes my own creature comforts prove to be too distracting. Sometimes they lull me into thinking that they harm no one and thus they must be okay. But the reality is that inaction and indifference to the harm and suffering of others often serves to perpetuate that harm and that suffering. It's not a direct harm but I can't say that I bear no responsibility in allowing that suffering to continue. Now, this might sound a little harsh. I know it does to me when I speak it to myself, but I believe that the creature comforts that so many of us are able to enjoy now keep us from truly taking steps to bring about a world that works for everyone. Because when, it turns out, our individual world works for us, it can be really hard to do something for others that might feel like it's going to diminish our own comfort. 
I myself have to often examine my own inner world, my own inner family of parts when I notice that I'm spending a bit too much time watching TV, a bit too much time playing video games, and I have to think to myself, does the world really need faster computers when what we really need are more homes for the unsheltered? Do we really need yet another reality TV show or another video game when what we really need are meaningful jobs that provide a living wage to everyone? Do I really need yet more self-help and spiritual books promising deliverance from my discomfort when what I really need is to put that spirituality into practice by helping others to overcome the greater discomforts of racism and bigotry and injustice that I see in the world? If I'm being really honest with myself, the answer to all of those questions is no, no, no. And that feels uncomfortable. To help and these systemic barriers to a world that works for everyone, I believe that the first thing I have to do is remember that discomfort is my sacred friend. It's there to tell me where the problem is. It's there to point the way, and it's there to invite me to follow this new path as best as I can. It invites me to have courage and compassion, not just for myself as I embrace this discomfort, but for those who have no choice but to live with a greater discomfort that has been imposed upon them. In a sense, I'm reminded to fast from my avoidance of discomfort. And it's in that fasting that I find my way to a deeper sense of divinity within myself. Because life stops being just about me and my own comfort and becomes about being part of something so much more. This is not an easy path, making my discomfort my sacred friend. I've had to do and I continue to do a lot of inner work with all that family of parts that make up me, that make up my mind. I have parts that want to slack off. I have parts that want to veg out and watch TV and play video games. I have parts that want to eat my problems away. I have parts that are afraid to go outside and use the comfort of my own home to keep me indoors. I have parts of me that rage against the injustices of the world, yet are afraid to take meaningful actions to heal those injustices because I know that that healing is hard. I have parts that sometimes feel bullied and isolated and alone by the seeming indifference of the world. I have parts of me that like to joke, make light of stressful situations because to actually feel the pain of those situations sometimes feels like too much. No, discomfort did not become my sacred friend overnight. I had to learn how to follow my discomfort to all of these struggling parts within me. 
And you know what I learned? When I started to get really curious about all these parts of me, when I got really interested in seeing them and hearing them and accepting them, well, what I learned was what they most wanted, what they most needed was simply my love. Turns out they didn't like creating problems for me. They just didn't know what else to do. They didn't like making me afraid. They didn't like making me feel isolated and alone. They were only doing these things because it's all that they could do to keep me safe. They didn't know that their often conflicting desires to keep me comfortable in certain ways was really creating a greater discomfort in my life. The discomfort of being disconnected from my deeper, wise inner self. The greater discomfort of being divorced from my inner divinity, from that spirit within. The healing practice of getting to know all of the parts of our mind is what I want to share with you tomorrow in my class, Spiritual Cartography. Because I found that learning how to truly love and accept every aspect of me, including all the parts that sometimes cause chaos in my life. Well, that's been far more healing for me than any prayer or meditation ever has. I know that might sound radical, but I truly see this kind of work as the next evolution of the science of mind, because what it does is it takes Ernest Holmes' core belief that our universe is inherently whole, perfect, and complete to its next logical conclusion. That conclusion for me is full acceptance of every part of me, including the challenging ones, discomfort and all. In a sense, I've found that for me, the best way to grow and evolve is to learn to become sacred friends with each and every part of me that speaks to me through discomfort. And because of this, it turns out, I actually have less stress in my life now that I'm not trying to avoid my discomfort. Isn't that ironic? Turns out that constantly running away from my discomfort was far more uncomfortable than just getting to know it. Hmm. And so I find my life has much more meaning and I find that I'm actually able to heal these habits and that divorce me from the world by bringing healing to all of those parts that perpetuate those habits. That inner healing continues to help me to do all that I can to help share that healing with the world. So I'd like to close our time by sharing a poem that's so inspiring for me and that I feel sums up the power and the unity that comes with engaging with our discomfort and building up an inner resilience that allows us to live differently, to live in a way that actually affirms the unity that has always been around us and has always been within us. And this poem is from Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, and it's called New Day's Lyric. May this be the day we come together, morning we come to mend, 
Withered, we come to weather. Torn, we come to ten. Battered, we come to better. Tethered by this year of yearning, we are learning that though we weren't ready for this, we have been readied by it. We steadily vow that no matter how we are weighed down, we must always pave a way forward. This hope is our door, our portal. Even if we never get back to normal, someday we can venture beyond it to leave the known and take the first steps. So let us not return to what was normal, but reach toward what is next. What was cursed, we will cure. What was plagued, we will prove pure. Where we tend to argue, we will try to agree. These fortunes we forswore, now the future we foresee. Where we weren't aware, we're now awake. These moments we missed, and now these moments we make. The moments we meet, and our hearts once all together beaten, now all together beat. Come, look up with kindness yet, for even solace can be sourced from sorrow. We remember not just for the sake of yesterday, but to take on tomorrow. We heed this old spirit in a new day's lyric. In our hearts, we hear it for auld lang sin, my dear, for auld lang sin. Be bold, saying time this year. Be bold, saying time. For when you honor yesterday, tomorrow ye will find. Know what we've fought need not be forgot, nor for none. It defines us, binds us as one. Come over, join this day just begun. For wherever we come together, we will forever overcome. Let us take that into prayer.